holy and great God. We sing these songs because you are more than able. We sing these songs because we realize that sometimes in our hearts we deny what you can do in our lives and through our lives. In this moment, Lord, we pray that the power of your spirit might continue to be here and help us to see and hear something that you need to tell us specifically, Lord, despite of the words that I say. May you speak to the hearts that need to hear a message from you. And Lord, we pray these and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Two decades ago, I was serving as an associate youth ministries director for North Florida, and there was a great firing, we call it the great firing, back in the day, two decades ago, where 50 pastors were let go from the Florida conference, and so they had to shuffle some things, and they added to my responsibilities a small church 45 minutes southeast of Tallahassee and, and Perry, and um, the, the county only had like 20,000 people. But they put me there because a couple of years before that, we had started a youth ministry program there every Tuesday evening where we were impacting the lives of 50% of the public high school students that were in Taylor County. Now, now don't think that it's like Orlando, okay? There was only 800 students in the public high school of that city. And so, but the powerful thing is that about 400 of them were coming through that ministry. And it was an awesome thing. And so they said, hey, since something good is happening there, why don't you also become pastor of that church? And so we moved over to Perry and to Taylor County. And, um, and we had a great and sometimes not so great experiences. But on my first day that I was preaching there, there was this one lady named Maggie. Her family called her Medea. And so she sat in the back pew. There was only 10 pews in this church, 10 pews. We, we, we filled to capacity when 50 people came on Sabbath morning. And so she sat in the back pew, and I remember going in there and saying hi to people and meeting her, and she goes, Pastor, let me tell you something. You can preach as long as you want, but at 12 o'clock, me and the Holy Spirit leave. I was like, oh, okay, uh, that's interesting. No one's ever told me that before. Yeah, pastor, I'm telling you, you can preach as long as you want, but at 12 o'clock, me and the Holy Spirit leave. I was like, oh, wow. And so, of course, you know, she was joking. Maybe deep down inside, she may not have. But, but in, she was an awesome woman. Uh, I, I loved her dearly. Uh, and the Holy Spirit just, just was in her and, and worked through her, and she was an awesome person to be around. And, and that why I'm sharing this is because I believe that she believed, and I believe with her, that the Holy Spirit is not just on preachers. The Holy Spirit is not just on people that do stuff on stage. 
The Holy Spirit is not just on, on people that are in the public's eye being heard by others, whether it be in a, in a church atmosphere, whether it be a digital missionary on Instagram or whatever. It's not just on those type of people. She believed, like I believe, that the Holy Spirit was also in her. And, and as we saw this in her life, um, this was a, you need to know this is a very conservative church. Um, at least until I got there. And so we started kind of changing a few things. Um, and so, uh, they didn't believe in, in lady elders. And so it took about a year until I could finally help them realize that women have the same calling as men do and they can serve as elders. Well, you know, it went back and forth a little bit. Uh, but they finally said, you know what? We can have women elders. We'll just call them shepherdess. I said, okay, call them whatever you want. I need woman leaders to help me in this church. And so Maggie was one of those shepherdess, lady elders of the church. And in our first meeting, uh, the awesome woman that she always was speaking into my life, correction. In my first meeting in the fellowship hall, I came in there on a Sunday morning with a baseball cap. And she looked at me. And she said, what are you doing? I'm like, what are you talking about? You're wearing a baseball cap inside of a building. I'm like, oh, I didn't know. We couldn't wear baseball caps inside of a building. She's like, of course. Take off your baseball cap. Pastor Juan, you can't wear a baseball cap inside of a building. So, you know, those kinds of stories, that's just one little illustration of what a wonderful woman she was and what an inspiration she was in my life. And the reason I'm talking about her and, and sharing this with all of you is that I believe that God's spirit, that God's spirit was not only in her life, but it can be in the life of anyone. Every person listening to what I'm saying right now, I want you to understand that God's spirit can be in every single one of you. And, and you need to understand, Maggie, she wasn't perfect. After all, she told me to take off my cap instead of a building. But, but I knew her kids, and I knew her grandkids, and so I would hear stories of Maggie, like secrets, you know? Like the young lady who talked about her secret guilty pleasure of TikTok up here. There was no TikTok back then, but you know, Maggie had her secret little things that her kids and grandkids would tell me. But in spite of what I knew, the point is this, uh, that it's important to know this because we don't have to wait until we reach a certain point or state of holiness to receive God's Spirit. Because God's Spirit wants to be in you if you want Him to be in you and in your life. God's Spirit is for anyone that wants the power of Jesus in their lives. It's not reserved for speakers or worship leaders. The Holy Spirit is for you. It's for you, homie. It's for you. God's Spirit is for every single person that decides that they want the power of Jesus to reside in their lives. And I believe with all my heart that God is preparing people from Warehouse Community 
and I, and I mean when I say that, I mean you, to be filled with God's Spirit and your life be transformed, not just by His Spirit, but that you will also transform others because of God's Spirit living in you. When God's Spirit first fell on the disciples in the book of Acts, from where our pastors have been talking about up here for the last couple of years, the disciples were together. They were vulnerable. They were confessing their sins and becoming real with one another. And then God's Spirit showed up and showed off His power through them. And I believe that God wants every single person that is listening to me right now to understand that you have been called to be part of a movement where you can be transparent, where you can be genuine of how you feel, where you no longer have to hide behind the, the two-letter word of okay. Some would say four letters, but you know. Okay. You know how this is. You know how we humans are. How you doing? I'm Okay. Oh, how you doing? Oh, I'm fine. I'm okay. You've heard that. I've said that before. You know, how you doing? Oh, I'm okay. I'm all right. Yeah, I'm good. Yeah. Uh, but, but the reality is that when we use that over and over again, when we are living on this planet, we know that somewhere in there, we put our emphasis on the okay in the middle of the word broken. And so we highlight okay when in reality, we're broken. As human beings, we tend to hide behind these two letters, and we, we put emphasis on that when we talk to other people. But the reality is that we have places in all of our hearts where we have experienced brokenness. Brokenness comes in different ways and different forms. It doesn't have to be necessarily that your parents treated you wrongly or left you or abandoned you. You can be broken in so many different ways. Sometimes we are our worst enemy and we speak into our lives so many negative words that we break ourselves. So that brokenness could come in so many, and God has, has motivated our pastors here to make the invitation for all of you to join a discipleship group. Why? Because they are interested in seeing how people can really do life together and see how God's spirit can move in that way. So they made the invitation to be part of a discipleship group or to become a person that will lead out in a discipling another person. And the awesome thing behind all of this is that all of you can join this journey. No one is better or has the potential to have God's spirit in their lives greater than you, you, or you. All of us can have the potential to reach God's greatest in our lives. And Maggie knew that. And I believe also that, that all of us need to embrace that truth. God's spirit desires to live in you and to disciple others through you. As you let these words simmer in your minds, I'm going to ask Pastor Mark Reams to come up here and, and share a few more details of what it means to be a part of these discipleship groups. In January, we talked about um, three different goals that involve the number 12. And 
one of those is we want 12 discipleship groups in 2023. And Pastor Juan and Justin and, and I wrestled with what, what does that actually look like? We can say it, but what does that look like? And what we really wanted was to go beneath the layer of friendships that most of us have. Because all of us have um, a certain type of friend where Juan and I could spend half of our lives going to high school together and we could just talk about the Miami Dolphins. And that's our friendship. It's a sad friendship, yes. But that's, that is how most of our relationships are structured on this common bond of something that that's what we talk about. And we felt that if we really wanted a New Testament church, if we really wanted to know what is church and what is church in action, we needed to go to a level of relationship with each other as the disciples did. This type of relationship cannot be manufactured. You can't fake this. And the Holy Spirit is required to be in the center of that type of relationship. And that type of relationship surfaces around several things. One of them is spiritual accountability, all for the purpose of spiritual growth, by the way, all for the purpose of of edifying each other, praying over one another, and challenging each other to to raise the bar to, as iron sharpens iron, so does one man to another. And so we wanted to develop what would that look like, easily duplicatable, not manufactured, Holy Spirit-centered, if every single person was in a type of relationship that you can be completely transparent with. Someone that I could trust of saying, this is the darkness of my soul, and I give you a peekaboo view of it, pray for me. Do we trust a friend like that? Do you have somebody in your life that you can go to and lay it all out where it's filth? It's, that type of relationship is tough, requires incredible sacrifice. It requires time. I don't think once a month is enough. I think a systematic relationship weekly. Because this, once a week, is definitely not enough. We don't get transparent here. It's easy to sit in a crowd. It's harder to sit at a table with somebody and bury your soul and saying, here's the darkness of my soul. Pray over me. And then that person challenges you. That person holds you accountable to a greater life that God has called us to. And so we have come up with something really simple. And this is something that you will personally have to pray for. And then you're going to have to figure out who can join me on what my soul truly desires to bear my burdens with one another. Who can join me on that journey and you, it will even spell out how to pray for that individual and how to start that discipleship group, an iron sharpens iron relationship. So listen, I was talking to an individual um, that was really struggling spiritually. They were alone. 
They were really alone. And I'm guessing that many of you that are sitting here are really alone when it comes to your journey spiritually. And I asked them, I said, do you have anybody that you journey with spiritually? Well, what do you mean by that? Do you have anybody that you share your, your heart, your soul that holds you accountable spiritually? I don't. So if I think of one person, one person in your life, in your circle of influence, who would that be? I don't have anybody. And that was a sad statement. And I told him, I said, you know, I have built-in accountability. Number one, I'm marriage. I, I'm, I'm married. And that there, there's, there's some accountability right there. I'm married. I have a children. I have children. And there's some accountability because their eyes are on me. And here's sort of a built-in weird accountability is I'm a pastor. So I can't just go into a grocery store and start yelling at people because I have eyes watching me. I can't road rage because I might road rage an old lady that goes to my church. So there's, there's accountability in all of those things. But even the built-in accountability that we have, it's not enough. And I have a group of men that I journey with. They're anywhere from 15 to 20 years older than me. And man, we share burdens with each other. They know some of the darkness of my soul, and I trust them 100% with that. But if I need something, I know they've got my back. I know that if, if, if I'm a horrible husband, all Deborah has to do is call him and say, he's a horrible husband, and those guys will be on me and saying, hey, what's going on? They will be in my face. What's going on in the heart? Because it is that type of discipleship group that we want to develop for every single person here. The goal is 12. I want you to pray on that. And then contact one of us. Let us know. I'm interested. Send me whatever that information is. I'm interested. That's the goal of 2023. Just 12. Start with there. We're going to start right where Jesus started. 12. And I guarantee you that this place, this community, your workspace, your home, your friendships, everything will change. This will truly be a city on a hill, salt to the earth with those types of relationships. Thank you, Pastor Mark. So this importance of discipleship groups will start it with one of the 12, Peter. If you remember him, he was a little messed up, right? A little broken. Now, we don't know anything about how daddy taught or daddy treated Peter in his life. We don't know all the brokenness he may have had inside, but we do know is that he was full of pride. So sometimes our brokenness doesn't have to come because something bad happened to us, but because we have a lot of pride in our hearts. And that's a broken situation. We have self-glorifying thoughts of ourselves that we don't tell anyone. That's a certain kind of brokenness. And I believe Peter had some of this. If you remember, right, Jesus said, hey, you guys are going to, like, all leave me and abandon me. And Peter was like, oh, everybody else might abandon you, but <laughs> are you kidding me? I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to always be with you. Or, or he, went the, he was in the garden, and there was this, all these uh, people there to grab Jesus, and they had him, and then all of a sudden, 
Mr. Pride comes into the picture. You know, Peter Robin Hood takes out his sword and he goes, I'm going to get you. And, and listen, he cut off the guy's ear. But I can guarantee you that the fisherman Peter was not aiming for the ear. He was not a wonderful swordsman. He was a fisherman. So he's probably aiming for the head and just got the ear. And Jesus was like, well, what are you doing? But, but in his brokenness, he couldn't be there anymore. He couldn't believe that, that Jesus wasn't standing up, that they weren't all like doing what he wanted them to do. In his brokenness, he wanted to navigate his own life instead of letting Jesus navigate what was going on. And then they take him away, and then while, while Jesus is being mis- mistreated, we have Peter in this situation where he sees, he's looking at what's going on to Jesus. And someone comes up to him and says, oh, I know you. You're one of the 12. And his brokenness and his self-glorifying, prideful way, he starts lying. Oh, I don't know him. What you talking about? Moves to another section where he's at. Oh, yeah, 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 you're him. You did follow him. Peter's like, what? Get out of here. Whatever. Goes over here. Oh, yeah, we saw you with him, Peter. You are definitely one of his followers. And to prove that he isn't in his brokenness, prideful way, he starts cussing up a storm. I won't give you those words, but he was just, the Bible says he started cursing so that somehow they would believe that he wasn't a follower, so he denied Christ. Three times. Peter was broken because of his pride. He was broken because of his past. He was broken because he wanted to take matters into his own hands and, and struggled with Jesus navigating his life. Yet in the midst of his brokenness, when he saw Jesus look at him, once the rooster crowed, he goes out to the Garden of Gethsemane and starts praying for forgiveness. So in the midst of his brokenness, where he reaches that point of his life where he has to choose whether he's going to go all in or not. In the midst of his brokenness, he allowed for God's spirit to take over his life. And he became an amazing leader for the new movement of Christians. Why am I saying that? It doesn't matter how broken you feel today. God can use you. No matter what it is, whether it's something that's been done to you, horribly done to you, and you've had thoughts of hurting yourself, and you're so broken, that God can still use you. If you're broken because you're proud and you got too much, you know, self-glorifying thoughts, like you are like the best of the best, God can still use you and humble you. As Peter gets older, he writes a letter to be circulated to all the churches and toward the beginning of the letter, he writes this. It's in 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, he's, he's bringing the point of how God wants to use everyone. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, as you, came, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, talking about Jesus, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house He's saying, hey, you were a part of all of this. He was the cornerstone. He was the main stone that was rejected. But you, are, you make up the house too. You make up warehouse community. You are a part of what God wants to do, this spiritual house. And he goes on to say to be a 
holy priesthood. Priesthood. He, he wants to use these individuals of the early church and become an amazing symbol of serving God. And we're we're going to get to back to this in a second, but let's go on here. To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. This is talking about Jesus. So the honor is for you who believe. So he turns the tables now. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. So you have a people that reject Jesus. But then he goes on in verses 9 and 10 and says this, going back to the people who are believers of Jesus. He says this, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. It's the only time that royal is used in this way, in this form in the Greek. So this is a special people. He's, he's talking to them and letting them know that you are God's royal leaders and, and royal people that will serve him, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous lights. So you know where your broken pieces are in your heart, right? You know your secret issues, your dirty secrets. You know all of this, but he's saying, hey, but I've called you out of that. Jesus has called you out of that into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And let's stay there for one second because God doesn't say he didn't give you mercy. He's giving mercy to everyone. It's saying that once you didn't receive it. In other words, you didn't accept it as your own. But now he says, you've gotten this. You have received it. So for those of you here today who are struggling with receiving God's mercy, for however wrong you feel, for however evil you feel, for however many times you feel, for however negativity stuff has been put into your brains by yourself or others, God says, I have mercy to give you. Won't you receive it? Won't you take it? Because it's, it's yours. So those who have received it, they have become this part of this royal priesthood, this, this part of this leaders that he's putting together. And you need to understand there's an importance for, this, for these priests that Peter is talking about. You see, back in the day, back in the Old Testament, there were priests. And if you sinned, you would take your sacrifice, your lamb, to this priest. And I'm not going to get really deep into it. Just want to give you like a brief look at this. You would take your lamb to the priest and he with you. You would put your hands on the lamb. You would confess your sins. Bam, lamb gets killed. Lamb represents Jesus. And this blood is, putting, is put all over the sanctuary. And the priest did this on your behalf. They actually also became Jesus on your behalf. Once a year, the Day of Atonement, they would go into this place called the Most Holy Place. And they entered in, representing Jesus on our behalf. Why is this important? Something scandalous happened when Jesus entered the picture. He took the Old Testament understanding of the priesthood of believers and, and everyone, and he said, hey, everyone, check this out, can be a priest, which Peter wrote about. And Jesus added, everyone can come before my holy presence and serve in closeness 
with me. Jesus just starts talking to scandals here. Yeah, but the priest in the Old Testament, no, 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 I'm changing the script. I've come because now everyone can do this. In fact, so closely, Jesus says, that he will be in us and we will be in him. In John 17, he declares this in his prayer. That's how close Jesus wants to be with us, not just holding our hands, but in our hearts and we in his. It's like a supernatural phenomenon, a supernatural connection. And all of this has been made possible because of the cross. As we look to next week and celebrate his resurrection, please remember that if you celebrate his resurrection and haven't committed to make a connection with Jesus, the resurrection is just a cool party to go to. But if you are in a connection with him, the resurrection is life-changing. And you will be missing out on God's greatest potential for your life if you're not in that connection. Look at what happened on the day that Jesus died that makes today's message super important. Jesus was on the, was on the cross near his death. And we find this in Matthew chapter 27. Verse 45, now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And at this moment, we need to understand that Jesus became sin for us. Not only did he carry our sins, he became sin for us. So the Father could only but turn away from that. But he did that for every single one of us so that we don't have to suffer that. So he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, wait, 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 let's see what happens. Maybe he's calling upon Elijah. Maybe he'll come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And this is where I want you to hear, see this focus here. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The curtain that it's talking about here is that thick curtain that was between the holy place and the most holy place. Most holy place only the priest could go into. So when Jesus died, that curtain was torn from top to bottom, invisibly known as angels that came into the pictures and tore it up so that every single person can now go through the curtain before the holy presence of God. All of us can now come before his presence, not just the not just a priest that served during that time once a year, but every single one of us through that veil, through that curtain, can now hang out with God in an intimate and real way. So that veil was torn, the earth shook, and the rocks were split, and anyone can come to the most holy presence of God through Jesus. That's part of the reason why we're all called priests, because we all can now go into that very intimate and close connection with God. So what does all of this mean to us now? Well, people here who want to be followers of Jesus, people who want to be disciples, people who want to be Christians, and how does this connect with the discipleship groups in the warehouse community? You'll see it here more clearly as we're landing the plane now. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 
And I have to say that because if I don't, the verse that I talked about before gets me so excited that we could be here for another 40 minutes, but we're not going to do that. Hebrews 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, right, the curtain that was torn from top to bottom, and this is explained here in Hebrews, that is through his flesh, that curtain, the whole sanctuary represents Jesus. So the curtain there, of course, represented his flesh when it was torn on the cross. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed away with pure water. This is a beautiful depiction of what Christ has done for us and where we can be in our relationship with him, in our journey with him. He makes this so beautiful and available to every single one of us. And let me tell you, whatever crap you're going through right now, whatever junk is happening in your life, if you are wanting to get things, how should you say, in a more peaceful atmosphere, connect your heart to the heart of Christ. You still might have some junk happening your way, but God promises in that holy connection that you will have peace that you will have grace, that you will have love, that you will have him with you, holding you in the midst of it. And this is so beautiful because he makes this available to every single person to come before him by washing us, making us pure in him. And it says here then towards the end, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promises faithful and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. That's the connection there of these discipleship groups. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near, that day drawing near is the second coming of Jesus. So as you see the second coming of Jesus drawing near, what is written here in Hebrews is telling us, hey, connect with one another. Encourage one another. Love one another. Be kind. Help one another. In the struggles, don't turn away a blind eye in the midst of the problems, but be there. And this is what these groups are about. It's understanding who we have become in Jesus, a priesthood of believers, but then also a group of people that can help each other and pick each other up. So I have a, a strange appeal this afternoon. Usually, if I ever share up here, I might have you come down or something like that. But today I want us to practice a little, a little bit of what it means to be a priest and help one another. This is what I'm going to ask, and I'm asking you to please do this because I think it's very important to do this right now. That you find another person, no more than three people, but that you find someone here, if you want to be daring, 
find someone you don't know or don't know that much. Like you said hi to them and they say, how you doing? I'm okay. Try to find that person maybe. But if you're a little bit more shy and you want to stick with your friends or your family, that's cool. Not as cool, but that's cool. Find someone and simply ask them, what can I pray for you about? And then vice versa. And then take a moment right now to pray for one another. We don't have a lot of time for this, so go now. Find someone. Ask them, what can I pray for you about? Vice versa, the person that says the same thing, and then you pray for one another. That's it. And then I'll have a closing prayer with all of you. Go ahead and do that right now, please. Holy and great God, Lord, thank you for giving us the privilege of interceding on behalf of another person. These are what your priest did. This is what you do on our behalf. And we are a part of that great calling to pray for others, to lift up others, to see of the great miracle working God of you being able. So Jesus, You've heard these prayers for people that we know, people maybe that we met today. We lift them up to you through the blood of Christ that was shed for us on Calvary. We praise you because, because of your resurrection power. We know that miracles might even take place because of the intercession that was done for other people today. So as your priest here today, pray for one another. Lord, work in a miraculous, powerful way. Do what only what you can do. Healing, changing, transforming, building up, mending. Holy God, manifest your glory and your power in all our lives. And for this, Jesus, we thank you and pray in your name.